president is going to seize this opportunity by leading the most significant tax reform legislation since 1986 and one of the biggest tax cuts in the American history. Uh, the president Americans. has no intention. The president has released plenty of information. In less than 100 days, I have signed 13 such congressional resolutions to cancel federal regulations and give power back to the people. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, hump day, the 26th of April. Welcome to the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. As we have a lot of good news, a lot of news in general to cover for you today. Um, so let's get right into it. The White House today outlined its tax plan and uh, put out a uh, optimistic plan. For some reason, uh, the market went down at the end of the day, but this tax plan is something that conservatives have been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, so let me give you the details on that. Plus, we have some optimism around healthcare today. And then later on, I want to follow up on uh, some national security items. Uh, and in terms of the uh, sanctuary city blocking by a judge, a real um, a, a real advocate for uh, Barack Obama, will give you the details and what we know about the money that he paid to his campaign, uh, plus uh, North Korea news and a lot more. A follow up on our Iran. Uh, again, and uh, we'll have some snowflake news for you as well. But uh, let's get into your money because some good news uh, today as it pertains to the tax plan that is proposed by the White House. Um, uh, Secretary of the Treasury Steve Mnuchin and Chief Economic Advisor Gary Cohn at the White House today. Um, Mnuchin says that this plan could be um, put into fruition uh, by the end of the year. Obviously, it'll take the White House and Congress working together. You know Democrats are not going to support this. And frankly, and I'm going to give you the the details on it, but um, it cuts taxes. Uh, It simplifies the tax code. Those are the the big pieces of this to take away um, from it. We haven't had tax reform since 1986 when President Reagan brought down um, the, uh, the tax rates. Um, and, uh, frankly, when you look at this, uh, you know, I wonder why anyone would support, and listen, uh, I'm conservative, especially when it comes to tax policy. Um, I don't understand though, why anyone would want higher taxes because when I hear people on the left, they're always talking about other people's money. They're not talking about their own. They don't want their personal taxes going up. They're talking about other people's money, um, which, you know, I see a story in a college paper today about how students are crying about um, uh, about not getting uh, the state uh, minimum wage. It's uh, $10 or ten ten an hour in New York. Instead, they're getting the federal minimum wage, which is uh, seven twenty five. 
an hour and they're whining and complaining. They should be lucky that the school hired them. Uh, and you're paying thousands of dollars for school, which to me is outrageous that they charge this much for school. But listen, hard work always pays off. Get another job. You know, you're not living paycheck to paycheck as a student. You're going to school as a student. Um, and it's said that the loans are so high, but uh, in terms of, uh, you know, jobs and, and taxes and all that, people don't realize the value of a dollar until they start working for it, uh, it seems. Um, so let me give you the uh, the White House plan. Um White House officials outlined this, again, Gary Cohn, the chief economic advisor, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, um, at the White House today. The Trump plan will cut the number of income tax brackets from 7 to 3. So in terms of your personal money, in terms of individuals, it will cut the top rate of 35%, uh, or the top rate will be, excuse me, um, 35%. The other two brackets below that, 25% and 10%. Um, and we don't know what income ranges will fall under those brackets that, um, those details have to be hashed out by Congress. Now, remember, just to give you a, a basic, uh, American history branches of government, uh, summary here, uh, the president, uh, for the most part does not create law. He enforces the law. Congress, uh, does uh, enact law. Um, but the president obviously has an agenda and we'll work with Congress to put this into fruition. This plan cannot be put in executive order. It's not a, um, and these are not, uh, just simply policies. This is, this is a major tax reform plan that president Trump is proposing. So in terms of individual tax rates, simplifying this 4 million word long code that has since the eighties has grown exponentially, um, and cutting the top rate to 35, 25% to 10%, only three brackets instead of seven brackets that we have now. Now, corporations, we talked about this yesterday. The proposal will chop the corporate tax rate to 15% from 35%. Uh, so uh, the corporate tax rate, by the way, uh, was really not 35%, it was more like 39.6% um, in reality. Um, which is very high in comparison to other uh, nations. Just to give you the figures. Uh, these are developed nations. Uh, the UK has a 19% corporate tax rate. The Czech Republic a 19% corporate tax rate. Poland 19%. Germany a 15.8% uh, corporate tax rate. And Canada has a 15% corporate tax rate. And the US is at 39.6% percent, which is the highest out of uh, industrialized uh, nations, uh, developed nations, I should say. Um, this is, there's no wonder why businesses have gone to Mexico and have gone overseas, because why would they want to pay that high taxes and then pay for American labor with minimum wages when they can hire cheaper labor? Remember, corporations want to make a profit, but if you lower this corporate tax rate to 15%, which is what the president has proposed, and uh, Congress is proposing 20, so that'll have to be negotiated. Uh, Paul Ryan said that uh, the reason why it was 20%, he said this a long time ago, was because they didn't want to, it had to be budget um, uh, deficit neutral. They didn't want to raise the uh, the debt. Um, but uh, 15%, while it would probably spike the debt uh, in the short term, over the long term, if um, implemented properly, 
You'll have corporations like, you know, Nabisco, like Carrier, like uh, Ford, who have uh, retained jobs in the country because of these exact policies that President Trump has proposed. These companies will invest, continue to invest billions of dollars in the United States and will hire American workers, which will in turn get this economy off the grounds in our uh, in our country, uh, as opposed to storing money overseas and as opposed to hiring foreign workers, um, whether it be in our country on the uh, visa program, or which President Trump has uh, has sought to uh, get rid of through his buy American, hire American policy. Um, instead of hiring foreign workers in our country or elsewhere, you would hire American workers for higher wages. And they would be investing in our country. And they would have more money to invest in the United States. So wouldn't that make more sense than the dollar flow? Um, it would eliminate tax deductions with only a few exceptions. So this plan, um, uh, the exceptions would be the mortgage um, interest and charitable contribution deductions. But it would eliminate um, some tax deductions. I'll give you details in a second. I just want to get through the bullet points. Um, the White House said that there will be a one-time tax on the trillions of dollars held by corporations overseas. So this is the repatriation of money. Uh, President Trump, during the campaign, signaled that he would repatriate money for a low uh, percentage of 10%. And this 10% then, uh, tr about $2 trillion is what they estimate, but there are trillions of dollars, which is unreal. I mean, try to fathom a trillion dollars. <laughs> It's not a million, not a billion, a trillion dollars, uh, and you have two trillion apparently uh, estimated stored and off uh, offshore accounts overseas. Repatriate that money, tax it at a very low rate, but still that money will go into our Treasury Department, and then they will have be investing that money in the U.S. with lower taxes to hire American workers for high wage, high paying jobs. Sounds good, right? Um, Mnuchin said the White House is working with the House and the Senate on the repatriation rate, saying that it would be very competitive with other countries. Uh, but again, President Trump has proposed 10% uh, during the campaign. The plan would also get rid of the estate tax, which is otherwise commonly known as the death tax. Uh, Gary Cohen said that the move will help privately help businesses and American farmers. Analysis of the estate tax reveals that it affects only a small proportion of Americans, but still enough that President Trump has said that let's get rid of this estate tax. Um, you know, why get penalized for dying, right? Uh, Mnuchin also said that the U.S. will go to a, quote, territorial tax system. Uh, further details uh, are to come on this. Such systems typically exclude most or all the income that businesses earn overseas. Uh, Trump's plan would also repeal the alternative minimum tax and 3.8% Obamacare taxes. Uh, Mnuchin would not answer whether the plan is revenue neutral. This is the, the terminology that the House um, has, uh, has discussed in terms of uh, not raising the debt. Uh, but, of course, this, will, uh, this type of plan, if, again, if implemented the proper way, if approved, it would ultimately pay for itself uh, with economic growth and with uh, reduction of more uh, deductions and, and closing loopholes. So that's the, the bullet points. To reiterate, 
reducing the tax brackets, individual tax brackets to three, simplifying the tax code. Top individual tax rate would be 35%, followed by 25% at 10%. Cutting the corporate tax rate from 35, really 39.6 to 15%, eliminating tax deductions. Let me give you the details on that in a moment. Um, a one-time repatriation tax. Um, also, um, getting rid of the estate tax and the Obamacare taxes. All part of the Trump tax plan revealed today. Now, let me give you some details on it. Um, in uh, the standard deductions, those are going to double under this plan. Uh, again, this is not law yet. This has to be hashed out with Congress. The plan calls for a sizable increase in the standard deduction Americans can take when filing taxes, potentially allowing taxpayers to keep more of their income uh, to the tune of a couple thousand dollars. So under the proposal, tax breaks for individuals and married couples filing separately will increase from 6300 to 12600 Okay, so it will increase about $6,000 um, in terms of tax breaks for individuals and married couples filing separately. The standard deduction for a married couple filing jointly will jump from $12,700 to approximately $24,000 so that the married couple will not have to pay taxes on the first $24,000 it earns. So just to reiterate that, if you're married, you will be, according to this Trump tax plan, if passed the way it is written today, uh, you will not pay taxes on the first $24,000. Tax break for individuals and married couples filing separately will increase from 6300 to 12600 uh, The White House plan would also eliminate this death tax, the estate tax. Um, Cohen uh, did not comment on the status of the marriage penalty. Now, the three tax brackets we went over um, to bring uh, the uh, simplify that to, from seven to three brackets. Um, of course, this has changed a little bit since the campaign, that part of it. Um, and then, yeah, the biggest corporate tax rate in history. Um, we're still at the 1988 corporate tax level, um, which is uh, 39.6. Like I said, I mean, you know, they say 35, but it's really 39.6. In fact, I had the corporate, I had the stats on this somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so a 15% corporate tax rate would be the lowest since 1937. 1936 and 1937 was at 15%. It peaked in 1968 at 52.8% corporate tax rate, which is outrageous. And then uh, from 1993 on, it's been at 35%. So uh, you have this is the plan that the White House has put forth today. Uh, Simplifying the tax code, reducing taxes across the board, and again, we haven't had major tax reform since Ronald Reagan's tax cuts in 1986. Uh, so, listen, good news for your, for your wallet today. Um, however, uh, this is not going to um, mean anything unless Congress gets their act together. And right now, they have to keep the government open. And they have until Friday to do so. We'll see what happens in terms of that. It seems like uh, that'll be fine. But meanwhile, they also hope to bring a vote on health care by the end of the week. Now, I, I don't sense this is going to happen by Friday, 
But it may happen next week or the week after. The Freedom Caucus, and you may remember the Freedom Caucus, which um, denied and was very um, against the um, the original American Health Care Act. Um, so when we look at this, uh, there is now the Freedom Caucus is backing an amendment in the American Health Care Act, and they're over, overhauling this. Now, I think last week we discussed that Mark Meadows, the chair of the Freedom Caucus, has been negotiating with uh, the moderate uh, or so-called Tuesday group. Um, Mark Meadows, I heard him in an interview this evening, and he said that he's uh, he feels better about this for a couple of reasons, the main being that it would lower premiums more than the original plan would. This has all been a negotiation. Now, a lot of people have said it's a legislative failure. Uh, President Trump's approval ratings dropped because of this. Um, but it has been, I mean, President Trump put an artificial deadline on it. He realized that this is not, as much as he wants to run the country like a business, you cannot put deadlines on things because Congress, frankly, they only work eight days a month, at least this month of April. So it's a little tricky. It's a little different than running a corporation where you set a deadline, you meet the deadline. Um, so he's always been deadline-oriented. He's finding things in Washington just don't work that way. The Conservative Freedom Caucus today announced support for a revised Obamacare over, uh, overhaul plan, a, a significant breakthrough, but um, you know, surely no win yet for Republicans because we don't know now that the Freedom Caucus is back in this, are the moderate Republicans off of the plan? Um, all things that have to be hashed out. You need, what is it, 216 votes um, in the House to pass this. Uh, the Senate has been working on this, and then they are going to, the Senate committee uh, is working on this, and then they'll send it back to the House with their revisions and for a House vote before it can get back to the Senate. But they're building consensus, which is positive. One thing that I disagree with on this, and uh, I have looked at the amendment, which um, uh, you know I'm satisfied with. Uh, it does seem like it will lower premiums and deductibles, and possibly you can get everyone together in terms of Republicans. You're not going to get Democrats on it unless you go to socialist single payer, uh, which is not going to happen. So you're not going to get Democratic support, unfortunately, uh, because they don't want to work with the Republicans. But the Republicans are... The most diverse in terms of policy um, party on Capitol Hill, which is good and bad. It's good because there's more um, uh, debate that's been going on. But uh, in terms of, um, you know, everyone blindly supporting, that doesn't happen, which, again, is positive. It depends how you look at it. Uh, now, what this plan does, one of the major things that— um, that I was uh, one thing that I that I was happy about, um, encouraged by, I should say, uh, was the um, the pre-existing conditions that I've talked about in terms of listen, the the analogy that I always give is flood insurance, right? You don't buy flood insurance while your basement is being flooded. You buy flood insurance before. A rainstorm, right? You buy it ahead of time when you first buy the house. Um, Pre-existing conditions is a lot like buying flood insurance while you are having a flood, while the basement's being flooded. 
Um, ideally, people buy health insurance while they're healthy. They pay into the system that helps the older generations, and then when you need it, you have your insurance and you paid your deductibles and premiums. Problem is, with pre-existing conditions, that means that anyone who is already sick can gain health insurance, which is not how the free market works, um, which means that costs are going to be higher for healthier people. Um, and frankly, when you look at it, you know, uh, while you can have sympathy for those who are sick, and maybe they're, it needs to be grandfathered in, I don't know, um, if people understand that they had to buy insurance or take that risk and their, their individual prices, not everyone else's prices will go up, then fine, by all means, buy insurance. You know, buy insurance while you have a pre-existing condition. Your prices will go up, not everyone else's, which is uh, encouraging because it's not fair to pay for other people's um, insurances when they didn't use the insurance. They just bought it when it was convenient uh, to them. So it looks like uh, they will um, look to put a vote on this uh, again. Uh, Paul Ryan, the House Speaker, will need at least 216 votes with 238 Republicans in the chamber. Uh, the Freedom Caucus has endorsed this, so we'll see. I mean, that's 38 members in the Freedom Caucus, uh, but you have a lot of other moderate Republicans, actually a couple who have left the Freedom Caucus since the last mess of the American Health Care Act. Uh, this amendment, by the way, is named after, or written and named after New Jersey Republican Representative Tom MacArthur. It's called the MacArthur Amendment. Um, so we'll see what happens. They're saying maybe Friday uh, as we near Trump's 100th day on Saturday. Uh, the president will have a rally on Saturday as well. Um, now, uh, some of the moderate Republicans are expressing frustration with this MacArthur um, Amendment. Um, they actually talked to Representative Tom MacArthur himself over the Obamacare negotiations, according to a couple of uh, GOP aides in the, in the Hill, um, they cite them, lawmakers expressing frustration for appearing for uh, with MacArthur for appearing to negotiate on behalf of the group and cite, uh, creating pressure on the Tuesday group members to now uh, back the deal. So there's some infighting going on with the party because not all of them are included. And this is the one thing that I, I've been saying since the beginning. If you were going to develop this health care plan, you know you can't have any Democrats because you're not going to support it, then you have to gain consensus among all members in the party. And if you don't have some members, fine. But you need 216 out of 238 votes. That's just in the House. Um, they need to come out with unity on this. They can't screw this up again. They really cannot. So what I, if I'm the Republican Party, I get together the entire Freedom Caucus with Representative Meadows who has endorsed this plan. I get together the Tuesday group, all modern Republicans. I bring them all to the White House. I close the door, have a few hours of a meeting, hash out your the final differences, and say, okay, this is what we're going to go for. We have the votes. Get the whip involved and figure out if they can uh, back this plan and truly lower premiums and deductibles with you know 116% increases in Arizona. People couldn't keep their doctor. Um, and this looks like a better plan. I'm sure there needs to be some details hashed out. 
Ignore the Democrats on this as you're not getting support. And, um, you know, it's a good first step. The problem is, and, you know, the more and more I learn about the, the details of healthcare, and you talk to more healthcare professionals, and they say, listen, it can't be, we screwed up with Obamacare by doing a one size fits all plan. That was the problem with Obamacare is that it sought to create one big government program, big entitlement program, uh, and to solve some issue that Obama felt with the uh, free market system that we had. Um, now that we have this entitlement program and you can't just take 20 million people off and then not even offer any insurance. So now the government's stuck with an entitlement. You have to figure out a way to allow free market forces and not just rely on one big bill. It's a good start. Let's also seek to implement uh, some uh, technology and allow the free market um, to take charge. And listen, Trump has, uh, even today, with an education uh, bill, is uh, and that was signed today, and uh, you know, if you go into that and you, and you look at the core of that educational policy is to allow states to control uh, their own local government. And it's all about smaller government and reducing Big Brother's control on every facet of our lives. Frankly, we're better off without the government telling us what health care to receive. So, and then, you know, this really outraged me today because, listen— you know I've been very critical of the United Nations, right? Because what have they done in terms of Syria? They just started to monitor it. They met with the president on, what was it, Monday, the National Security Council, and they said that, um, and President Trump said, you know, why are we paying all this money? Other countries don't pay their fair share. And we have North Korea who's trying to put a nuclear bomb in our backyard in Hawaii, and you're not doing anything. In fact, you allow um, Syrians' uh, top ally in Russia to block sanctions. Now, the Trump administration put uh, over 200 sanctions on Syria, but the United Nations can't impose sanctions because Russia blocks it. What, what the hell is that all about? How is that even possible? What do you do all day besides talk about climate change, which is not the number one national security threat, Bernie Sanders? So now the United Nations, okay, get this. The United Nations, and you understand, the United Nations is a global uh, coalition of members, okay, that deal with international threats of national security, international laws. Okay. Today, they are warning the Trump administration, okay, or we are finding out this today, earlier this year, in fact, they warned the Trump administration that repealing Obamacare without providing an adequate replacement would be a violation of multiple international laws. Now, that's false, by the way, because Obamacare does not, it's not international law. It is a U.S. law. It's a bad one. It's a U.S. law. The United Nations does not control the United States. Who the hell do they think they are? The Trump administration, of course, is going to ignore this U.N. warning. I mean, February 2nd is when they told Trump it was a five-page memo cautioned that the repeal of the Affordable Care Act would put the U.S., quote, at odds with its international obligations. Oh, really? You're going to tell us 
how to govern ourselves. The United States federal government has a, bit, has a difficult time in governing itself as it is, and we're going to listen to global influences telling us how to run our country. What's next? Because just recently, they named Saudi Arabia, which persecutes women, literally enslaves women, does not allow them to leave their house without a male supervision, stones women to death for adul uh, adultery, and women have to be have to abide by men in every facet of their lives. They have absolutely zero rights. They cannot own property. Christians and Jews are stoned to death or uh, beheaded. They're persecuted. And Saudi Arabia is named to the UN Women's Council. Oh, really? Okay. And Trump has a problem with women. How about the United Nations, which is allowing an enslaved... Uh, a group, a country that enslaves women to be on the National Women's Council. And they allow the largest state sponsor of terrorism to dictate uh, how uh, the UN uh, or puts them on a board in, in national security and, uh, you know, uh, in, in anti-terrorism. Okay, you see the irony and the United Nations is going to tell us how to run our healthcare system. The United Nations, I'm so fed up with them, they do absolutely nothing after Aleppo was bombed to shreds and the only reason why it came to the forefront was because libertarian candidate Gary Johnson couldn't remember Aleppo in an interview. And so then Aleppo, the news started coming out about what's going on there because Gary Johnson's gaffe and... The UN responds by saying, we're going to monitor the situation. North Korea has developed nuclear weapons and over the past two decades has gained proliferation. They've been developing a nuclear program that could possibly now reach our homeland and the United Nations has done nothing. They don't sanction Syria when they launched 10 chemical weapons attacks since 2015 with Syria being responsible for at least half of them, and now both they and Russia are not only complicit, but they're covering it up and, and calling the United States the perpetrators of the chemical weapons attack. And the UN is telling us how to run our healthcare system. They can't do anything right. They can't even run their organization that's supposed to be. And they named Saudi Arabia to the Women's Council and Iran to security. It is like the bizarro world at the UN. Unbelievable. It really is. And the White House, by the way, a report coming out that uh, in terms of the economy and healthcare, uh, is now uh, his next move is uh, preparing an order to withdraw from NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. So we'll see what happens here. Of course, during the campaign, he did promise to withdraw from NAFTA um, as also this week you have uh, some uh, border tax placed on Canada which has been taking advantage of our uh, farmers and our mills and dairy products here. So all of this and we're going to cover by the way on Sunday is the Neil A. Caruso show uh, live at 12 noon Eastern on NeilACaruso.com. We will be covering the first 100 days. I went through 
uh, the list today in terms of all the actions because I've kept track of it. And, uh, you know, I have a stack on my desk so high that I can barely see it from my desk. The actions have been unreal. I've been, listen, very productive 100 days. There have been some challenges, um, arguably failures. We'll have that all covered for you, fair and balanced, on Sunday. Um, and we'll go through it in terms of uh, what President Trump has actually done in 100 days. So that'll be the show on Sunday. But, uh, you know, you, you look at what's going on in this world and uh, the lack of support for our president when he's, I mean, he's got an uphill battle and he's still getting stuff done for the American people. Uh, when we come back, Ann Coulter says it's a dark day for free speech in America. Meanwhile, a Sharia law advocate will be speaking at a commencement. I would have probably boycotted that one. We'll have that covered for you. When we return the Neil A. Crystal Show podcast on this Wednesday, our first lady's birthday, Melania Trump, my grandfather's birthday as well, the 26th of April. We'll be right back. He never stops working for you, the American people. A star is born. Eli Crusoe has inside scoop and common sense analysis on today's breaking news on the Eli Crusoe Show Podcast. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Woo! Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in! Come on! Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah. Street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Do you want to win? We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. And you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. Neil A. Caruso is winning every day. This is the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast on NeilACaruso.com and on iTunes. Subscribe now. All right, we are back on the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast on a Wednesday. Um, so, and culture, you know this whole situation. Well, uh, she is now canceling. The uh, speech at UC Berkeley, she said that she was going to show up anyway. Now she's canceling it, saying that's a dark day for free speech in America. It's unbelievable that these snowflakes get their way 
and that this university, which is a total, it, if I was there, I would withdraw right away. Uh, they deserve to lose their federal funding. Their police uh, there, for some reason, are hands off. Well, we know why, because allegedly the mayor, uh, you know, had some influence there and was as involved in a Facebook extremist group that promotes riots at UC Berkeley. UC Berkeley was the home of the free speech movement. Well, not anymore. Um, Ann Coulter saying that she's no longer going to show up, up on Wednesday. There were actually terrorist threats, okay? And these terrorist threats were not from the Islamic State. These are just from liberal snowflakes actually threatening to blow up the place. If a conservative, because God forbid, a conservative speaks on a campus. And this is why we have only one side of, one point of view that gets discussed on college campuses. Which is really a shame because you're not getting an education. I'm sorry, but the higher education system in this country is absolutely sickening. It is the, it is not worth 50000 In fact, you should be paid to listen to the liberal nonsense that is spewed every day on a college campus, okay? But, you know, a Sharia law advocate is going to give a commencement speech at a taxpayer-funded university. I'll tell you about that in a second. I want to play this again. I played this yesterday, but in case you didn't listen to yesterday's podcast, Bill Maher, who is a very liberal person, uh, but he is very pro-First Amendment, very pro-First Speech. He had this to say on his show on HBO on Monday night about the Ann Coulter situation. Bill Maher. It's always near and dear to my heart, the First Amendment, uh, because Ann Coulter ran a little into a little problem this week. I know, we, we don't like Ann Coulter's views. You do? I, I like her as a person. Yeah, I never agreed with one thing she ever said. Uh, <laughs> That's different. Okay. But uh, she was, I was uh, the speaker uh, at Berkeley a couple of years ago, and they disinvited me, and then they got their act together, and I wound up doing it. And apparently that's what's going to happen with her, I think. But Berkeley, you know, used to be the cradle of free speech, and now it's just the cradle for f***ing babies. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I feel like, you know, this goes on all over the country on campuses. They invite someone to speak who's not exactly what liberals want to hear, and they want to shut her down. I feel like this is the liberals' version of book, book burning. Yeah. And it's got to stop. Howard Dean tweeted today about this. Hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment. Yes, it is. <laughs> Threats are not protected by the First Amendment. This is why the Supreme Court said the Nazis could march in Skokie. They're a hateful bunch. But that's what the First Amendment means. It doesn't mean just shut up and agree with me. I, I can't believe you have to remind liberals of I this. can't believe it either. Yeah, uh, I can't believe he, Bill Maher, the voice of reason on the First Amendment. Um, The funny part is that all these, the ironic part, I should say, because nothing is funny about this. The ironic part is, is that these terrorist threats are not protected by the First Amendment, which means that they, the ones who claim tolerance, the ones who claim that we should all love each other and that we got to hold hands and we have to persist and resist. And we're going to cry on election day because our candidate didn't win. And Trump is so vile and we're going to hold clients and huggins. And we're going to hug and cry together. I mean, and this is what goes on. And you want to vomit, folks. And 
This is the party that claims all these tolerant things and loving each other. They're the ones that are issuing terrorist threats. They're the ones that should be locked up for threatening terrorism, for threatening total anarchy, which there already are. They should, I'm going to go as far as to say they should lose their citizenship for this type of behavior. I know. Little, little out there. I get it. But if you are going to throw rocks at police, you're going to set campus on fire, you are going to have total anarchy and go totally bonkers because someone who you do not like is going to speak, you deserve to lose your citizenship because America is a place of freedom. The United States of America was founded on free speech. It was founded on the First Amendment. It was founded that anyone can say anything with different points of view, have debate, have discussion, and not be thrown in jail for that. Despite what we, you know, see in other countries. And we see Venezuela. You talk out against the government, you're thrown in jail. Cuba, you're killed. Under Sharia law, forget it. Now, by the way, hate speech is protected, but who's to say that Ann Coulter, just because she's a conservative and wrote a book in Trump we trust, that she's spewing hateful rhetoric. They call Trump hateful, they call conservatives hateful, but they're the ones that are burning property. They're the ones who are injuring Trump supporters. You see the irony? These are bad people, or bad hombres, as Trump would say. A Sharia law advocate will speak at the City University of New York Graduate School of Public Health, a pro-Palestinian who does not believe in Israel's existence, believes that people who kill Israelis should get paid for that. That's what the Palestinian government does, is that they pay people for killing Israelis because they don't believe that Israelis are people. What does that sound like? World War II, possibly? Okay. This Sharia law advocate, a female, is going to serve as CUNY, the City University of New York's Graduate School of Public Health commencement speaker. She's going to speak at a graduation. Linda Sarzor is her name. She will indeed speak at the June 1 commencement at the Apollo Theater, says the chief of staff, the school's dean. Now, uh, some... Including that, uh, including a Democrat from Brooklyn, are saying that Sarzor's act activism and beliefs make her unfit to serve as a speaker of the taxpayer-funded university's commencement. Yeah, no blank, Sherlock. Um, this is a radical Islamic. Okay, this is someone who believes that Christians and Jews should be persecuted. So you know, there are a lot of Muslims who feel very uncomfortable about President Trump. When there are also a lot that are fair-minded enough to realize he's talking about the radical and has made the distinction, unlike Barack Hussein Obama, has made the distinction about radical Islam. And they understand that he's trying to actually help the American citizens and American Muslims. And this is now a radical that's going to speak to college graduates who believes in beheading Christians and Jews who believes that women should be enslaved. And she's going to speak at a college commencement ceremony. I mean, 
This is totally disgusting, okay? That's one thing if you have someone... Uh, this almost makes uh, having a political figure who is one side or the other uh, as a commencement speaker look pretty good. Because I wouldn't show up for this. I'm sorry, but you put a Sharia law advocate? Um, I may be protesting that one. Uh, that is inexcusable. What are we? What are we teaching our kids? Okay, things are so backwards on college campuses. It's a whole different universe. Now you know what else is backwards? Our judiciary system, the Ninth Circuit, namely. President Trump did tweet about it because remember yesterday, a federal judge in San Francisco said that President Trump cannot. Uh, enforce and blocks Trump's sanctuary city order um, saying that uh, federal funds should be removed from sanctuary cities and that the DOJ should do so. Now, there are, I'll tell you Trump tweets in a second and about this judge, but there's a report, the Daily Caller published a report here that the DOJ actually ignored Trump's sanctuary city executive order, that there was a disconnect. And um, so let's go through uh, this, uh, this report. Um, the White House and the Department of Justice have not been on the same page about the definition of a sanctuary city and how much federal money those sanctuary cities should lose. Now, the executive order that was signed in January by President Trump called for sanctuary jurisdictions to be eligible to lose all federal funding except money needed for law enforcement purposes. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, however, talked only about sanctuary jurisdictions losing grants from the DOJ's Office of Justice programs during the White House briefing, and it seems like um, the DOJ was not uh, removing all the federal funds that President Trump did sign into law, so there was a disconnect there. So, uh, I don't know what's going on, but uh, let's abide by what's the law, which is Trump's executive order. Now, let me tell you about this judge. Judge William Oreck III, yesterday, as we were doing the podcast, blocked President Trump's order to withhold federal funds from sanctuary cities. Uh, he, this judge, reportedly bundled hundreds of thousands of dollars for President Barack Hussein Obama. So this activist judge who goes out of his way when the law clearly states U.S. Code 1373 prohibits jurisdictions from denying or restricting in any way the federal government's access to an individual's immigration status and ignoring immigration detainers is a violation of the law. The federal judge, William Mark III, out of sheer politics, which is proven now, issued an injunction against the Trump administration after the city of San Francisco and the county of Santa Clara sued over the president's plan to withhold the federal funds from municipalities that harbor criminal illegal aliens. And this judge also issued a restraining order in 2015 against the advocacy group responsible for undercover videos purporting to show that Planned Parenthood employees plotted to sell baby organs. When that revealed a lot of light into what pa Planned Parenthood stands for, which is basically a conduit to abortion. Okay, and you could tell me that no taxpayer funds go to abortion, but let's be fair, their services promote abortion. And I'm not getting into that debate, but this is what this judge, this activist, has been ruled on in the past. This, 
At this time, in 2015, the Federalists found that this Judge Oreck raised at least $200,000 for Barack Hussein Obama and donated more than $30,000 to groups supporting Obama. Oreck, who's 63 years old, also raised money for the failed presidential bid of then-Senator John Kerry in 2004. Okay, so he is, the Judicial Watch also reported, by the way, that Obama's Justice Department granted more than $340 million to sanctuary municipalities as of 2016. They were funding and harboring criminal legal aliens. And this judge, who is an activist, okay, is supposed to be unbiased in his decisions, is a liberal promoter, donates to liberal groups. It's fine if you're a citizen, but if you are a judge, the same way journalists claim to be unbiased, but 95% of them, actually more than that, 97% of them voted for Hillary Clinton this past election, they shouldn't even vote. If you're going to be totally unbiased, okay, which by the way, it's okay to have an opinion, just be honest about it. But they hide behind unbiased and they're giving money to Hillary Clinton. They're going to private meetings and... Uh, and, you know, crossing the borders between being too friendly with the campaign and not. And this judge is supposed to be totally unbiased in not creating laws, but upholding the law, has donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to Obama and his aides. This is totally outrageous for a judge to be such a clear activist of liberals, or conser- for that matter, for conservatives, this judge should be unbiased, and this is the one that's going out of his way to use campaign rhetoric that is not supposed to be used in any uh, any decision, and is blocking an order when the 8 U.S. Code, Section 1373, clearly states that it is the obligation of the federal government to enforce immigration laws, and the states don't do so, they can withhold federal funds. Our laws state that. Plus, federal laws are supreme according to the U.S. Constitution. It's it's outrageous. Today, by the way, let me get off of that and just get into foreign policy for a second because I want to follow up on the Iran story yesterday. But before that, senators got a North Korea briefing at the White House uh, today. They piled into buses for a rare trip to the Eisenhower Executive Office building next to the White House for a closed-door briefing in North Korea. President Trump is being um, very transparent. Even Senator Ben Cordon, the top Democrat in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, noted that this is unprecedented in his experience. Um, He said, don't read too much into it. But listen, if Congress, who has the power to, um, to take us to war to declare war, uh, it is important for them to be kept up to date because if the president needs to launch a strike or needs to react, he needs to be able to feel confident enough that he will have Congress's back when when and if this Kim Jong-un in North Korea threatens our very homeland, which he's doing every day. So transparency by the Trump administration. Now, I went to a follow-up on Iran. Yesterday, we had breaking news that the Navy destroyer had a close encounter with an Iran vessel in the Persian Gulf. A, quote, fast attack craft in the Persian Gulf Monday. 
U.S. officials say that the Iranian ship came within 1,000 yards of the guided missile destroyer USS Mahan with its weapons manned. The officials said that the Mahan altered course to avoid the Iranian warship, sounded the danger signal, fired flares, and manned its own weapons. The Iranian ship did not come closer than 1,000 yards. No warning shots were fired. A little scared. Uh, Politico published this investigation, 20 pages, an investigation on Obama's dealings with Iran. And what was once thought to be a one-time gesture of releasing Iranian-born prisoners who were, quote, were not charged with terrorism or any violent offenses last year. Well, we're finding out so much more about Iran's activities with this, uh, or the United States' activities in dealing with Iran, the prisoner swap, and a simultaneous implementation of the six-party nuclear deal. Uh, Obama portrayed the seven men he freed as civilians but they were actually in for sanctions-related offenses and violations of the trade embargo. They were terrorists released. Um, they also uh, 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 removed red notices and dismissed any charges against the 14 Iranians for whom it was assessed that extradition requests were unlikely to be successful. Um, furthermore, they were smuggling U.S. military uh, antennas to Hong Kong and Singapore for use in Iran. U.S. authorities... Uh, believe that this uh, this terrorist was part of a procurement network providing Iran with high-tech components for an especially deadly type of IED used by Shiite militants to kill hundreds of American troops in Iraq. But we went ahead with a deal with Iran to give billions up front to them anyway. And more than that, um, the way that the State Department dealed with them in allowing Iranian fugitives to friendly countries so that they uh, could be, um, so that they weren't arrested there. Um, and we find out that a lot of these, the, the rhetoric from the Obama administration was just false. They're, they did things that were illegal without any um, type of consensus with Congress or the American people in dealing with, with Iran. They also, supervisor noted that in agreeing to lift crippling sanctions on Tehran, Obama administration had insisted on re retaining the right to go after Iran for its efforts to develop ballistic missiles capable of delivering nuclear warheads and cruise missiles that could penetrate U.S. defenses and to illegally procure components for its nuclear, military, and weapons systems. Uh, then why would you be dismissing the people that you know about who were involved in that, which is what a former official asked. If you're going to allow terrorists to be freed, then why are you then talking in, in the other side of your mouth saying that we need to uh, you know, deal with these ballistic missiles and make sure that Iran doesn't have nuclear capability, but you allow their terrorists to be released? It just makes you shake your head. And this is a, if you Google... Well, the name of the story, Obama in Iran deal giveaway. This is a 20-page Politico report, and I just wanted to follow up on that because we're in scary times. And the Trump administration has all these uphill battles and a foreign policy situation that basically Obama just passed along a grenade to Trump. And that's what we're dealing with today. It's scary. It really is. Uh, and it's, uh, frankly... 
very alarming. So that's the podcast for today. Tomorrow, uh, we'll follow up uh, maybe on healthcare. Uh, we'll see how the tax reform plays out uh, in Washington. Um, I tell you, though, more and more stuff coming out about this Obama administration and the challenges that have been passed on to President Trump, it's alarming, or to, to say the least. And, you know, this, this is after thank you gifts to Iran back in January. It's the largest state sponsor of terrorism. Okay, so... We'll talk to you tomorrow, folks. Uh, I just shake my head at these things. At least we're getting tax reform, right? Hopefully, Congress has to do their job. We'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless you. God bless America. The Neil A. Caruso Show podcast is a production of Caruso Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Caruso on social media. And log on to neilacaruso.com to sign up for Caruso's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.